how do I get my ceruloplasmin up if copper doesn't raise it? This is a clip from a live Q&A session open to CMJ Masterpass members. In addition to this episode, you can access lots of other free samples from these sessions at the first link in the description. Thank so um, I have a question regarding uh, copper metabolism. And uh, right. just as a background, I am heterozygous for H63D, uh, which I know you're, you're also familiar with. And so I've been dealing with the iron during these years with um, phlebotomies and then diet. But uh, I have been dealing with copper deficiency and um, meaning low copper low ceruloplasmin and low copper in urine. And I've also ruled out um, as, uh, the genetics, so Menkes and Wilson's and asuroplasminia. So the question is that which factors, apart from iron and copper, could be hindering ceruloplasmin production? So if I supplement with copper, um, this, it seems that the ceruloplasmin is not uh, rising in the same fashion. And even sometimes my ceruloplasmin might go down and copper go up. Interesting. So you don't have any problem raising your, ser raising your serum copper with, uh, with copper supplementation that, uh, that behaves normally? Let's say that I feel that I need more copper than, um, like I need more, like if I take, let's say four or five milligrams of copper, uh -huh. it's still hard for me to get the copper to, let's say, 80 or 90 milligrams. Whereas, for example, with zinc, I take seven to 10 milligrams of zinc and zinc goes up in, in you know, two weeks and other nutrients. So, uh, it doesn't feel like that it's an absorption issue, but specifically uh, dealing with, with copper. And so um, I know the reason I mentioned the them H63D, because I know that copper is obviously um, uh, uh, important for iron metabolism. So could high iron saturation hinder and use more or, or increase the copper demand and that could be the reason or other other nutrients which could affect a speci specifically ceruloplasmin and there is this notion around the internet which i'm dying to ask you about that is it true that there is this so-called free copper which is not bound to ceruloplasmin and causing toxicity in the body yeah um there is some support for that uh free copper is is really difficult to measure and so it's it's um it, there's controversy over it but the, there and certainly the idea that you can measure your you can infer your free copper from the ratio of of serum copper to ceruloplasmin it it does make sense but it's very hard to validate that because it's so hard to get a good measurement of free copper that is itself free from from controversy so uh but but there's also like you can look at case reports and like i i found a case report once for example in someone who was i think supplementing with copper on hrt and uh the 
So I don't think that person had a problem with secreting uh, seroluplasmin, um, but uh, but her serum copper went. There is a limit to how much seroluplasmin you could, you'll make, and so it, if you go into copper toxicity range, p- part of what seems to drive that is that your copper goes higher than kind of your max output of seroluplasmin. Um, right, and, and and there are, you know, there are w- well established uh, copper toxicity things that can happen, and it, and it seems that it's a reasonable hypothesis that the point at which they start happening is the point at which serum copper exceeds the seroplasmin response. Um, although you also always have to be mindful of the fact that uh, positively charged ions are going to bind to albumin and stuff like that as well. And so it, it just, uh, it's sort of like in, uh, with iron, right? You, you, you're really like trying, but, the right way to think about iron is that most of the iron is bound to transparent, but iron will also bind to albumin. So you can have a case where your albumin is high and it looks like your transparent saturation would, um, if you're looking at, to- if you're, if you measure the iron saturation calculated from the total on un- total iron binding capacity and the unbound iron binding capacity, uh, that can be thrown off by your albumin level, but, but you're free iron is not going to be thrown off by the uh by the albumin level like you're if you're looking at total iron binding capacity and unbound iron binding capacity in serum iron that's probably a better estimation of what's what the free iron level is than your transparent saturation measured directly with transparent because albumin can bind iron right so if if iron is uh, n- is not bound by transparent, but it is bound by albumin, it's not free. Similarly, if copper is not bound by seroloplasmin, but it is bound by albumin, it's not free, right? So it's... Right. I think there are there are limit there are limitations to inferring the free copper concentration from the, sero- the copper to seroloplasmin ratio because of, for example, other proteins that could be binding copper in the blood. Got um, it. So, so yeah, certainly... I- go ahead. Yeah, I, I I found a study where they were studying um, um, uh, the like regarding copper metabolism, and they came to the conclusion that okay, even in the absence, I think it was a rat study uh, that even in the absence, complete absence of seroloplasmin, copper was still somehow transferred around. So that, but they didn't know how exactly, but they concluded that there seems to be other you know methods than just seroloplasmin. Of transporting it so i guess this comes down to that okay how important it is when i'm supplementing in copper to actually follow the rule of plasmin is it more important just to get copper into decent levels and then less worry worry about how much seroloplasmin there is and the possible toxicity of this free copper yeah well i'll i'll say that uh the best uh, the the most well established regulator of seroloplasmin is copper, but vitamin A has also been shown across numerous studies to regulate seroloplasmin. So I do think it makes sense to look at your vitamin A level and see whether that's low, and whether even if it's not low, it would be interesting to, uh, you know, raise your vitamin A level and see if that improves your seroloplasmin. I I would I've actually say, done that. Oh. Yeah, I've, I've actually done that. Yeah, I've, I've used chrono- chronometer for 
about four years for all the um, supplements and nutrition and and, uh, and the labs. Um, so I haven't found a huge correlation that even when I increase my vitamin A um, intake and then uh, somewhat the, the blood levels, which I understand are not super accurate, that there hasn't been a, like a significant increase. I'm talking about the seroloplasmin. Right. Like what I meant is that when I'm supplementing with oh. vitamin A, I haven't found a correlation that would, it would basically every time spike up the seroloplasmin. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. And I did came across one study which suggested that uh, the seroloplasmin um, is also or might be affected or uh, regulated by the thyroid hormone that could. I have a slightly elevated TSH, so like 3.5-ish, uh, so that could possibly slow thyroid function, affect seroloplasmin uh, production in the liver. Yeah, that's possible. Um, I haven't looked in detail, but I, I think you're right that thyroid can regulate it. Do you follow right. uh, do you follow Morley Robbins's work? Yes, and I've tried his <laughs> I tried his protocol but it didn't you know it wasn't like uh, any revelation. I I I feel that there is more in my case than 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 that. So basically it's just increasing vitamin A uh didn't seem to help. Right. And then I um, um I I th I think he uh I agree with maybe some 50% of, of his, his book. Exactly. And I, I, uh, the reason I brought him up is because I, I know he's definitely done more of a deep dive than I have on all the different things that can regulate seroloplasmin. So if you didn't follow him, I was going to say, you know, he might be, he might have something pulled, pulled up in his work that I'm not thinking of at the moment, but, um, but but I, I I do think like as I j said before uh, I'm not totally sold on the importance of uh, kind of micromanaging the copper to seroloplasmin ratio right um, but uh, but although I do think it I mean I would be I haven't seen your data but I, I would be kind of concerned if um you know to get copper from the below the bottom of the normal range to the middle of the normal range was kind of causing a uh was sort of like leaving ceruloplasmin like at the bottom of the normal range or below it uh that i don't know that i would be worried about it but i you know i would i would be and that's kind of the the magnitude of difference that i would need to be thinking about it Right. You know, well, I wouldn't really care if it went up in a one-to-one -one ratio, but I, I would. Right. Yeah. You know. It does react. It's just because sometimes, and I've been trying to find this correlation, and that's why I'm asking these questions: is that what are the factors, cofactors affecting it? Because when I'm, when I'm looking back, uh, you know, into the past four years, and I do monthly tests, like basic labs for following the iron, I do see that sometimes the seroloplasmin does go up and sometimes it doesn't. And I just haven't been, yeah. let me, I let haven't me ask found you, the correlation. Got it. Yeah. Let me ask you this though. It, on average, so forget about the ups and downs, but just smooth out the average, right? Mm -hmm. 
where is your seroloplasmin in relation to the normal range and where is your copper in relation to the normal range? Like, you know, bottom quarter, middle, top quarter, et cetera. They're both in the bottom range. So seroloplasmin is sometimes above the lower reference range. Mostly it's kind of like a little bit behind, like under it. And copper is, if I don't supplement actively with copper, um, you know, I just recently went like to 68, 67, which is given in the ref. The no, when you are, when you are supplementing. So the average serum copper when you are supplementing, the average seroloplasmin when you are supplementing. Right. So average copper is between 75 and 80. And what about the seroloplasmin? And I don't remember the range on seroloplasmin. So what yes. is it in relation to the range? Uh, average, it's about 17, like 16, 17. And I think the bottom is 16. And so... Yeah. Um, I... I don't. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that. I. I would worry too much about it, especially if all the things you're trying aren't helping. Because uh, I, I do think you have to worry about copper toxicity. Really, when you're pushing the copper kind of high, and the seroloplasmin is lagging far mm-hmm. behind it, that's when I would be pretty concerned about that. I also think that it's. It's um, you know, it's it's very. Where's your iron? Where, where's your iron saturation at? So uh, saturation, I've been able to uh, keep it. I mean, that's what I'm actively doing, keeping it below forty-five or fifty. Um, but if I'm not um, vigilant with you know um, the diet, for example. Um, then I had a recent episode where, you know, it jumped to, you know, over 70 and you feel horrible, you know, there. And you're heterozygous for H63D? Yes. That's weird because I'm homozygous for H63D and mine, uh, mine stays pretty normal if I donate blood like once a year, no matter what I eat. Right. And so that's, well, by the way, what I, what I wanted to uh, also note that I've done for, uh, like therapeutic phlebotomies and I can, those affect the saturation for maybe, you know, week or two. But if I don't keep my iron intake, let's say like under eight milligrams per day, the, the iron saturation, regardless of the donate, like the blood donation, or the the phlebotomies, the iron saturation can jump up back to 50s, 60s in two weeks. So it's crazy. <laughs> like I, 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 I yeah, I, I think I, I think that might that might be related. So, um, but steroloplasmin should be part of iron transport, right? And that's uh, I I believe seroloplasmin uh, will I believe its normal function would be to help um to help move iron into the transparent saturation pool right and so if your transparent saturation pool is is chronically elevated then that might downregulate the need for seroloplasmin right. So, you, you, 
and and you you could say that I mean uh, it's very possible that this sort of like serol copper to serol plasmid ratio is um is is a little myopic. Uh, you know, like, like your your body is is probably making the decision to make seroloplasmin based partly on the free copper ions and partly on the need to regulate the iron pool. And and it it it, it might not want to uh it, 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 you might be net benefiting from lower seroloplasmin activity if your iron pool is dysregulated towards the iron saturation and your your body might be a little bit smarter than you are in terms of trying to achieve that outcome but i do think that you should try to get your iron saturation into the 30 40% range all the time and i i'm skeptical that your h63d is the only thing dysregulating that because i mean maybe i'm just biased from my, how old are you I'm 47. And how old were you? But I followed, yeah, I, I discovered this 10 years ago. And, what was, it and you, well, what was it when you first discovered it? When I first discovered it, the saturation was over 80. And what was your ferritin? Um, ferritin at that time, the highest it ever was, was probably like mid 200s. But now it's, I've kept it like a, under like the lowest is mean is like 25 and yeah. on average i'd be keeping it like on 50 interesting so i i still think there's something else going on besides the h63d i don't know what it is but uh, i do so, think it god yeah follow-up question to that uh then is that i did recently notice uh when i like find i, I found a strong correlation that when i started supplementing with vitamin e that even if I increased my iron intake or doubled it, my saturation was keeping, like my body was keeping the saturation under 45, but the ferritin started going up. So it felt like that what the vitamin E was that's doing. That's a good thing. That's a that's unam that, unambiguously good thing. That it was helping the body to transfer the iron from the transfer into the ferritin. Yeah, you you so absolutely be that want you absolutely want the iron moving from the transparent saturation yes. to ferritin cool. So could vitamin E absolutely be, not be trying to micromanage your ferritin at all, and should right. be trying to micromanage your 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 iron saturation, your transparent saturation. Right. So could it be possible? Because vitamin E was something I come, came across very early on in this journey, and I measured it. I did lab tests. I've done it a couple times, and it's been on the mid range. Of the like the mid lab range, so I never, I never found at least the labs that didn't tell me that I was deficient in vitamin E. But um, when I'm supplementing it, it helps. So could it be that that the this the high iron levels I've had could have depleted the vitamin E, or that I would need more of it to help with the you know with the with the iron levels, or is it just that the vitamin E helps to mitigate the oxidative stress? coming from the iron what's the role of vitamin e in that yeah product? i i mean you would you would think that uh that all things being equal diminishing oxidative stress would diminish the the impetus to store the iron and ferritin so i'm going to guess that you have oxidative damage going on that's actually hurting your 
regulation of the ferritin and transparent pool. And it's it's not obvious to me exactly how to explain that, you know, because oxidative damage can be very general in terms of what it dysregulates. But, you know, it might be that you have a lot of oxidative damage going on that's that's dysregulating all this stuff and that all these abnormalities are driven by that. But I, I'm, I'm inclined to think that, um, I mean, I, I guess it, it might just be shifting redox balance towards a more reduced state, which which is uh, necessary to um, push ferritin uh, iron back in the ferritin pool. So, um, because because uh, so, so um, seroplasmin is. Part of me wants to go back and check to make sure I, I have this right. So so don't take this as gospel and, and double check it. But I believe sure. that uh I believe that ferritin has iron in a more reduced state and transparent has iron in a more oxidized state, and that the ferroxidase activity of seroloplasmin is what's responsible for moving iron into the iron sat into the transferrin pool, which is what makes it more usable. If I have that right, then you know maybe the maybe the vitamin E is just in a sort of generic way pushing iron into a more reduced versus oxidized state, which is not really the function of vitamin E, but you're kind of substituting it there. So I I would if I were you I I think and we'll have to leave this to to go on to the next question soon. But if I I would conclude this by saying that um you probably want to be thinking of antioxidants in general as potential contributors to normalizing your distribution of iron between iron saturation and ferritin. And you want to do anything that works to promote lowering the iron saturation so that on a chronic basis, if you were to check it on a daily basis, obviously you're not going to, but if you, you know, can show that over two week intervals or whatever the intervals you've been measuring that you are getting a consistent decrease of the transparent saturation to the 30 40, 30 to 40% range um regardless of what happens to ferritin let the ferritin go as high as it'll go with you getting the iron saturation down into that range i think that is probably going to be the thing that and this is more of a gut feeling than a than a tight and shut case, but my Got suspicion it. is that 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 will be getting your iron saturation into that range consistently is going to be the best way to increase your seroloplasmin, and that thinking beyond vitamin E more broadly across antioxidants in general is going to be the best thing that's going to help you with that iron balance. Got it. Cool. All right, I'll try to uh, book a consultation. Um, thanks for this. The, the next consultation, I think, was in January. So it was great to get a little primer here. Cool. All right. All, All right. right. Thanks so much. With you. Take care. All right. This is a clip from a live Q&A session open to CMJ MasterPass members. In addition to this episode, you can access lots of other free samples from these sessions at the first link in the description. If you want to become a MasterPass member so that you can participate in the next live Q&A or so that you can have access to the complete recording and transcript of each Q&A session, 
You can join at chrismasterjohnphd.com slash masterpass. You can save 10% off the subscription price for as long as you remain a member by signing up at chrismasterjohnphd.substack.com slash Q&A. That's Q&A spelled out as Q-A-N-D-A. These links are in the description.